Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'm here with a great friend and collaborator, Ben Hardy. And this is kind of a special podcast series for me personally, and I think for Ben too, because it's a podcast of how we're developing the actual copy of Who Not How for a major market book. My part of it is to constantly be interviewed by Ben because he's the writer. Ben is the writer, and Ben's a top-notch, first-class blog writer, book writer, and he knows the book world. He knows how big books get created and how they get published and how they get marketed. So this is a tremendous activity, and a lot of my clients are saying, you know, if I write a book, what do I do with the book, and what would a podcast do for me? And I'm thinking, why don't you just join the two projects and use the podcast to actually develop the content of the book, but have a partner. And if you're lucky enough, have a partner who's a really good writer. That way, <laughs> all you have to do is answer the questions. You have to do a good outline. And what I've done, in my case, I've created a little book. And I always kept in the back of my mind in writing the little books that these would make excellent bridges to a bigger book if I had collaboration with other talent on the other side of the bridge. And you sought me out, Ben. And the more we've talked, the more we really, really have common values. We have common attitudes towards the future, common attitudes towards being ambitious and being successful in the future. And this is, I should say this, and we're separated by 44 years. So I'm 75 and Ben's 31. And yet I've never felt anything about that. You know, you're who you are, I am who I are, and we're doing this common collaboration together. So I'm really happy with this, and I'm really happy both with the chance to create this podcast, because this is going to have value right away, but also you're going to ask the kind of questions that deepen your understanding of the small book so that it can become a big book. Yep, yep, that's pretty much where we're at right now. In this specific episode, and we're going to just do episodes going through each of the eight chapters, I've actually read through Dan's small book of Who Not How twice this week. Me and Tucker Max have been developing the book proposal, and Tucker is now in conversation with Reed Tracy of Hay House, and we're going to be signing that contract in the very near future, and this book's going to be so good. One thing I want to say is just kind of as a jump point into chapter one, which is all about ambition and goals, is that... One of the things I'm completely committed to with this book is making sure that it, there are certain numbers. One of the things that Dan has actually taught me, I kind of knew it, but Dan gave words to it, which is what he often does, is that your brain really likes numbers and events. Those are the type of future self experiences that really the brain can gravitate to. And one of the things that excites me about Who Not How is, so one of the concepts of Who Not How is that when, in this case, two people come to collaborate and they're obviously in their unique ability. The collaboration is good for both parties. So for Dan, obviously the collaboration, you know, it's going to grow his business. It also grows his ideas and his capabilities. For me, this collaboration forces me to think a lot bigger about my own future Mm -hmm. as a human being and as a writer. And one of the things that I want to personally push myself to, but I know that it's a win-win goal for both of us is that I want this book to sell at least a million copies and get at least a thousand people into strategic coach. And the reason I like those two numbers, and I actually don't think that those two numbers fully level out. You don't need a million books to get a thousand people into strategic coach. You probably need a lot less than that. But that forces me as a writer to figure out how to sell a million books. 
And so this collaboration is not only good for Dan, it's extremely good for me. And I am the one that sought that out <laughs> because I love these ideas. And the more and more I dig into this book, the more excited I get about getting this book out to the world. It's, in my opinion, I, I believe that this is the most interesting and easy way for people to shift and become powerful entrepreneurs and to live in their unique ability and to actually enjoy their life. That's actually one of the big things I yeah. got, Dan. Yeah. Is that this book is a call for people to enjoy their lives. Yeah, and I should say that one of the things that's even more exciting to me than it was like two or three months ago when we were talking about this project was the real clear joining us of Tucker Max. And just tell our listeners who Tucker is, because Tucker is a force of nature in the publishing world. I'm learning more and more that Tucker's a beast. So Tucker <laughs> Max is an interesting character if you Google him. He's written four New York Times bestsellers. He's sold millions of books. You know, between 10 and 15 years ago, he was very famous. He was named like on Time Magazine's top 100 most influential people in the world. <laughs> a movie was made about his life. He actually wrote the book, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. And so like he wrote a lot of books that were kind of like those college frat boy style books and sold millions of copies. And he learned how to be an extreme marketer and to get his ideas out there. And ultimately that book was made into a major motion picture film. But what's interesting about Tucker is that over the last 10 years, he's gone through this huge transformation. He's actually now started a company. So as a person, he's matured a lot, but he's still the same brilliant mind that allowed him to sell a million books. So now he has a company called Scribe, and they now have thousands of clients that are basically business people that turn their ideas into nonfiction books. But Tucker happens to be a good friend directly of mine and Dan's, and so he's working directly with us on this book. And he just knows the publishing world like crazy. Just as a quick example, I was very stuck. So not only is he a brilliant writer, he's one of the best writers I know, but he knows how to navigate the publishing world and not deal with the annoyances of it because the publishing world is almost like the academic world. It's almost like the government in a lot of ways. It's a big institution with a lot of rules and a lot of those rules get in the way of forward progress. And one thing that's really great about working with Tucker is that he knows how to navigate those rules because he's been in it for so long and he's been so successful in it, but he's also very good at helping with the writing process. So one of the things that he's helped us do in the last two months is he's helped me personally navigate and figure out how to structure getting this book sold and moving it forward and not dealing with the complexities of the book world. But one other really important thing that happened, I think, which was maybe inspired timing was that we did meet Reed Tracy who's the Hay House owner. And I do think that, and Tucker agrees, and I think Dan agrees, that Hay House, because of their more entrepreneurial spirit and their collaborative perspectives, is going to be the right house for this book. So I think that between Tucker and mm -hmm. between Hay House, we're now moving forward. And I can honestly say, because Tucker actually edited my last book, mm -hmm. the one I'm currently just finished writing, the book is going to be so good. Name, because, please, because 600 copies are going to be purchased for our 10 times clients. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So I can actually, so the book is called Personality Isn't Permanent. I actually share Tucker's story in the book, and I probably quote Dan Sullivan 10 times in the book. <laughs> but Tucker edited the book personally, and the book has clearly elevated my writing skill. From Willpower Doesn't Work to Personality Isn't Permanent, I feel like the evolution is so insane and so I'm excited for him to help us with the writing, but I'm also excited that he doesn't play the stupid games of the publishing world. And now we're making big moves and the book deal is going to be done very soon. And so we're creating such an amazing who network. 
I mean, that's yeah. one of the big concepts of the book. Is yeah, that, I think the yeah. interesting thing is that the way this book is actually going to become a major market book and hopefully a worldwide sensation because who not how, you know, we did all the IP protection on the term who not how, you know, right from the beginning because I thought it was a powerful idea. But the big thing is that, you know, I have a concept in the free zone frontier program, which you had the thing, the artist previously known as Prince. Well, this was the program that was previously known as the Game Changer. But as of Labor Day, this is called the Free Zone Frontier. But one of the concepts in the Free Zone Frontier is that if you have a choice between money or capability and you have cash confidence already, take the capability because with greater capability, you can create more cash, but more cash won't necessarily create a new capability. So my whole attitude with all my collaborations is that there's gonna be money made available. And as far as I'm concerned, it's for Ben and it's for Tucker and it's for Reed. So all the money goes to the capabilities that are pushing the book out. But what we get from this capability is that we get people signing up for Strategic Coach. You know, I've been thinking more and more, and I said, if this really works with one of our books, I said, I'd just like to do another book like every year for the next 25 years. <laughs> well, I can say that Hay House is the right house for that, yeah. and there's no shortage of ideas. I've known Dan for a little over two years now, and in the last year and a half, since you really made this transition from Who Not How, I haven't known you personally, but I've known of your ideas, and your ideas are what constantly attracted me to you. But I feel like your creativity is on a different level this last year. And you've completely changed your program in the whole free zone frontier is totally an expanded new concept. And so I don't think that there's going to be a shortage of ideas over the next 25 years, especially because in the next 25 years, you're going to be 1000 Xing everything you've done in the first 75. That's right. Yeah, that <laughs> is right. <laughs> that is the game plan. Bigger and better ambition, because this is really... The real heart of Who Not How is that it's really designed for entrepreneurs who are naturally attracted to having futures that are bigger and better than their present right now, and we call that ambition. In the introduction, we sort of talk, well, there's a problem that comes up when people have bigger and better ambitions, and that is there's a lot of hows that they can't do that actually are between them and getting the bigger and better ambition. And a lot of entrepreneurs find that such a negative activity that they stop having bigger and better goals because they hate that idea of being loaded up with a lot more house. They already have a lot of house in their life. And what we're saying is that's simply a sign that something switches in your brain and you say, well, that's not my how. I have to find a new how. So in case of getting a major market book, I need a who who looks like Ben Hardy. I need a who looks like Tucker Max. I need a who looks like Reed Tracy. Those are the who's I need because <laughs> I have no how ability to take a little book. I know how to create a little book for you know our internal use, but I have no how to actually get it out to the world. So that's why this is a perfect example that the actual creation of this book is actually a perfect example of what the book is about. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things you mentioned in the first chapter is intellectual and emotional. So you talk about intellectual engagement and emotional commitment, intellectual and emotional. So you talk about intellectual engagement and emotional commitment to your future. And so obviously, you have a lot of 
emotional commitment to your own future, but also you've gotten me, Tucker, and Reed very emotionally committed. Mm -hmm. We're obviously intellectually engaged in the concept of who, not how. We're also intellectually engaged in the idea of creating a phenomenal, successful book because it expands all of us. So let's talk a little bit about emotional commitment. Like when you're creating a bigger and better future, Dan, like how do you get yourself emotionally committed to that future? And how do you get other people emotionally committed to that future? Yeah, well, you know, it's just a model that I've had that our present self is always being influenced and sold by two other selves. It's either our past self or our future self. For most people, I think, even if they start off as very bright, energetic, ambitious children, somewhere between 30 and 40, and this is male or female, their past self actually takes control of their future, okay? And that is that they can't do much more new ahead of them than they've already done behind them. So this is the main underlying business model for class reunions <laughs> of people going back and talking about when they were bright, energetic, carefree children, because more and more, the greatest enjoyments they have is actually in the past. So it takes a lot of muscle, actually, a lot of individual muscle and a lot of individual determination. And one of the things I do is I can very, very powerfully see myself in the future Okay, and this is something that I said I had to do just because I have some particular makeups which make me very prone to being trapped in the past. Emotionally, I can get very, very involved in certain situations and then I can't get over them. And so I've learned over the years that the counteraction to that, the antidote to that, is to get really, really good at picturing myself in the future so that my future actually has more power than my past and my past has to make itself accountable to my future. In other words, I can only hang on to that part of my past which in fact is useful to the future. The rest of the past has to disappear. It's no longer useful. So that's my main point there. So you have to see your future self. And as you pointed out and what I've seen already, that personality is not permanent, that the future self that you see yourself is actually a different person than the present person. Just as you as a present person, if you've actually grown since you were little, you're a different person now than you were. And a lot of people say, well, no, I'm just always the same person. And that does a disservice to your personal progress. Yep. Yep. I love this so much. There's so many important concepts here that what I love, and this is something I've told to Dan, is that like when I was rereading this book, I was realizing how many science-based ideas <laughs> that Dan has just intuited through his amazing experience and research. So one of the big things that psychologists are digging into now, and it's exactly what Dan's talking about, is the idea of the future self. That's becoming a bigger and bigger realm. There's actually a really good TED Talk called The Psychology of Your Future Self. It's by the Harvard psychologist Dan Gilbert. Dan Gilbert wrote the book called Stumbling Upon Happiness. But basically what the research is finding now is that it's very important for decision-making if you view your future self as a different person than your current self because your future self is going to have different capabilities. They're going to have different options. In the case of who, not how, they're going to have different networks. And they're going to have different who's. And so Dan is already very clear. One thing that's a big sign of confidence is how far out your future self is. So someone with low confidence, their future self may be like, you know, where they want to be next month or next week. Dan's future self is 25 years into the future. And so that's a huge sign of confidence because the more confident you are, the more imaginative you can be about your future self. 
But one thing again that Dan said that's super interesting is that your future self becomes the filter. So Dan actually has a concept called 10x filter. But you know, I like the idea of the future self filter because the future self becomes the view through which you view your past. It, and it's the view through which you view all decisions. So your future self is what becomes your current identity. You know what I mean? And it becomes what you use to begin mm-hmm. and live and act in the world. So it's so exciting. So do you have a process, Dan, for like imagining and creating your future self or your goals as you're thinking about like, what mm-hmm. do you want for yourself? And thinking of this future self, how do you do it? Yeah, well, the big breakthrough for me that really got me on this track, when I developed a real handle on dealing with my own tendency to get trapped in the past, I created a tool called the Strategy Circle. And the Strategy Circle simply says, I'm going to pick a date in the future, okay? It could be a year out. And we found that three years was really a good date, three years. And there's something about three years that all your troubles right now, you don't want to have them three years from now. You know, all your limitations now, you don't want to have them three years. And our imagination of the future actually fades as we go forward. And three years is the year after the year after next. And we kind of can imagine that. And so you put a deadline and I just take the day that is today and I just move it three years and I say, this is now this particular day but it's three years from now, and we're looking back from that date, back at the present, and what do I wanna have happen in my life during those three years, both personally and professionally, for me to feel really, really happy about my progress? Okay, so the thing here is, it's not so much what the progress is, but it's progress that makes me happy. Okay, and a lot of people want progress, but when they think about it, yeah, I can get that progress, but it won't make me any happier than I am now. So the goals you're going to put out there are happiness-making progress, okay? So I have that, and I say, well, that's now the law for looking at the present. So I, I always tell people you can never solve present problems in the present, okay? Because it's your present self that created the problems. <laughs> so, so, you know, exactly. I mean, you're calling the arsonist to put out the fire. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. your present is a product of who you currently are. Yeah. You can only solve the present through the future, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the fire chief is the person who started the fire. <laughs> Why are you phoning him? He's going to bring gasoline. <laughs> so what you do then, you say, okay, what is it about the present that opposes my future self that I've just defined? And then you line up the obstacles and you say, well, you know, you can never take on obstacles as a gang. Obstacles... They always hit you as a gang. Nobody can take on a gang, so you have to separate the obstacles, you know. And one obstacle is the way I'm spending my time doesn't allow me to develop the skills necessary to get to the future. The other thing is the people I'm hanging around with right now are not supportive of the future that I'm looking for. You know, I don't have the energy level I'm going to need to operate because actually this is the invention. When you put the deadline and you put the goals and the problems, you're at a much higher level of clarity, confidence, and capability three years from now than you are now. This is a different person, and there's a lot of things in the present which have been influenced by your past which actually don't want you to be that person because it means that 
they have to go away. And there's lots of part about your present self that want to hold on to you. They don't want to let you go. You know, I've kind of worked out a comfort level with your present you. And if you suddenly become your future you, everything's going to make uncomfortable and they're going to give you pain to... So it's painful. And you know that one of the biggest problems of pain is the pain of growing a new skin almost. It's almost like the skin you're in is too tight for the growth that you desire. Yeah. I mean, one thing I love about what you're saying, one of the problems with people's identity is that because it's their self, because your identity is how you view yourself, you have a lot of ownership over it. Like you think like, Mm -hmm. this is who I am. So then you can cling to it and say, well, I can't change because if I change then I'm being inauthentic. But what I love about what you're saying is it's like, and really this is so true in psychology is you want to have a loose grip on your identity. You don't want to hold on to it too tightly. Instead, you want to say, I know that I'm going to be different in the future. So how about I design my future self? And rather than clinging too much on how I view myself now, you're a lot more flexible. Yeah. And the thing I would say about that, there are some certain things that you know about yourself and you want to develop an identity for yourself that was you at your best when you were your past self, your best you in the present self, and that'll still be part of your best you in the future. So, you you know, it's not like you're going to become a stranger to yourself. There's going to totally, be a, totally. There's going to be a part of you which has always been with you. And when I was 11 years old, I came up with a question. I said, here's a question that I think will serve me well forever. And the question is, I wonder how far I can go. Okay. Totally. So at any time I've made a jump in my life, I say, well, that was great. Now I wonder how far I can go. So I've built in a part of my who Dan is that Dan, no matter what he achieves and no matter what increase in capability and confidence and let's say reputation and rewards and everything else, Dan is going to say, well, that was really neat. I really like that. Now I wonder how far I can go. So I've always had, even in my worst times, You know, I've had ups and downs psychologically, emotionally, you know, and actual success, divorces, not divorces, but a divorce, bankruptcies, and everything else. And they, you know, they were painful. And they, it was almost like I had received a concussion with some of them. You know, I was recovering from a concussion. It was like I had PTSD for months, you know, just from the negative experiences. But Even in the heart of that, I always had this thought. Now I wonder how far I can grow. So I think this desire for growth as a permanent part of your whoever you're becoming is really crucial. You have to develop a mindset that you love growth and you always want to be growing without knowing what the next step is. Yeah. I mean, this connects so big with one of your concepts, which is status versus growth. I mean, that's why I think overly attaching to whether it be your divorce or whether it be to the, a failure or even a victory in the past mm-hmm. is overly attaching to a status or an identity from your past. So, you know, maybe share a little bit about the difference between status and identity with people. Yeah. Well, I really noticed this in entrepreneurs. And when I first started coaching, which was I started coaching one on one in 1974. And the first 15 years of my coaching was probably 100 customers and clients where I just developed a lot of the tools that gave us the confidence to start the workshop program in 1989. So it's 30 years on November 13th since we started our first workshop. And I was fooled, and it's a bit like the what I talked about, you know, that you can be very, very energetic and successful early in your entrepreneurial career, 
But your goal is actually to get a status in your community. So when you were little, you notice that the really successful people lived in this part of town. They had this type of house. They belonged to these type of clubs. Their kids went to these schools. They had these kind of cars. And then they had a second home. They had a vacation home. But these were all material things, and they went to the best restaurants and everything else. And your entire goal for becoming successful as an entrepreneur is how you can join that club. And the moment you join that club, you have no further growth goals beyond that. Then your only goals are to stay in that club. So you'll work as hard and successfully as you need to to stay in the club. And I really, really noticed that there were people who seemed enormously ambitious and they would go through five, sometimes 10 years of the program. And then they'd say, you know, I'm kind of where I want to be right now. It was a mystery to me. I said, but this has been so much fun. (laughs) You know, you're saying this is so exciting. And then all of a sudden, you stop. And they said, well, yeah, well, my goal was to get to this level. And I always felt like I was left out when I was a kid. And I was ashamed of my parents because my parents couldn't match other kids' parents. And, you know, I felt deficient because I didn't go to the schools that they went. And I want to show them that I'm as good as they are. And that's a status goal. And then there were others. And They weren't as impressive in their early years of growth, but they just became more and more impressive. And I just noticed the game was always growth. So whatever level they went to, they wanted to grow. And it's interesting because over the last two weeks, I've been in workshops where I have six strategic coach clients who within the next six months will have been with me for 30 years in the program. And we have a breakthrough concept called free zone frontier right now. And they said, oh, I'm so thankful. I I stayed with it for 30 years because this is the best thing we've ever had. And they said, what I can do now with this new concept and what it does is it multiplies the value of every tool and concept they've already developed over the first 30 years. So they've been with me for 30 years and now they're all seeing an easy, easy multiplier future with this new concept. And I said, boy, you know, and I have to tell you, I mean, we've done well, and you know, Ben, Babs and I have done well, and we, by entrepreneurial standards, we got a good-sized company. It's 130 team members. We're in three countries. We do 500 workshop days. I have 17 other coaches. So we've done really well. But I tell you, the biggest reward for me is someone who stays with the growth game with us literally for their entire business career. And I just love people who stay in the growth game and then compare notes every 90 days. I just sit there and I say, oh boy, this is, this is such a great thing. You know, it's this great thing because I'm in the growth game and I've got you know dozens and hundreds of other people who are playing the growth game. You're a growth game guy. Tucker's a growth game guy. Reed Tracy's a growth game guy. And I said, isn't that great? You know, because... If you're in the wrong circumstances, the growth game is a very lonely game and it's a very painful game. And so to be surrounded by a community of people who love playing the growth game. So I think this is really the big thing. And the whole point and the danger in this is if you misinterpret the results you get from having bigger and better goals, that suddenly you're presented that there's gonna have to be all sorts of activities and skills involved that you don't have and you interpret that correctly, Ben, that this is simply a sign that you have to find new who's who love doing that activity 
and who are much greater at you at doing it, and they'll be happy to join you because you've just given them a chance to increase their growth game. Yeah. I mean, one of the big things that I'm learning more and more about you, Dan, (laughs) so we recently had a conversation at your house in Toronto, and you were explaining to me a new concept. I won't go into it, but basically the concept was to help you feel psychologically like you were ahead of the game. And one of the big things that I'm learning about you is, is that everything you construct, all of these insights or things like that, in a lot of ways is to help you be in the right mindset so that you can continue to grow. And one of the important concepts that we haven't gone into too deep in these conversations yet is that as you're continuing to build a bigger and better future, just as an example, right now, Strategic Coach is how many times bigger than it was when you first started? In November, will be 250 times our first year or so. So you, right now, you know, your current self at a platform, because you talk about ambition is yep. creating a new platform for yourself then to jump off. And so the, your current platform is 250 times bigger than it was after that first year. And better too. Yeah. yeah, 250 times bigger and better. But now from the vantage point of that current self, you're now thinking a, a thousand times bigger than- A thousand times yeah. bigger than what yeah. we've achieved. But what I like about that is, is you talk about the gain and the gap and about how you have this 1,000x future ideal, but you're not living in the gap. You live in the gain all the time where you're constantly feeling good about where you're at. And I think that that's one of the big things that you and I you know, talk about and you talk about in the book is that ambition frustrates people. Ambition scares people because they've either emotionally attached to a status of success or failure or they're living in the gap. And so they don't feel good about ambition at all. But you've created this system where you're constantly living as your future self, but you're completely living in the game. So it just always feels yeah. so good. Yeah, and the thing is that happiness is that your present self is in resonance with who you're becoming bigger self. So I'm not my future self yet, but I'm in resonance. The days I live right now, there's nothing contradictory about the way I'm living right now. There's nothing in conflict with who I can become down there. I just haven't acquired taken my own personal skills to a higher level, and I haven't gained the team of who's who are going to take me there. Most of the powerful who's that I need for a thousand times, I haven't met yet. But if I put out enough messages and podcasts and books, you know, and then just good referrals into the world, the the who's who want to play the growth game are going to be attracted to my thoughts, to my thinking. So one of the big things you said is once people attain a certain status, at some point they say, I'm good. And you're like, well, why would you stop the growth? There's actually a really good book called The Happiness of Pursuit Mm -hmm. because a lot of people, they're in the pursuit of happiness, but there's the happiness of pursuit. And one of the things you talk about in Who Not How is the thrilling fascination and just excitement of some of the unexpected transformations that occur. Because when you're playing the Who Not How game, part of the concept of collaboration is, is that the whole becomes different from the sum of the parts. Yes. And that a big part of that's unpredictable. You often don't know. So as an example, one of the things I love about what you just said is, is that in order to get to a thousand X growth, there's going to be who's and opportunities and situations that your current self can't currently see. But because of things that are going to happen, there's going to be unpredicted opportunities. You know, you call them strategic byproducts, right? Strategic byproducts. Yeah. Yeah, you're pointing straight ahead. That's your goal. But actually, the big reward is off to the side. Yeah. And it happened because you were pointed towards the goal. But it's actually a much bigger thing than the actual goal. But you can't have uh, strategic byproducts unless you're pointed towards a bigger and better goal. I mean, just as an example, I had no clue. So 
I had one big goal and, you know, with willpower doesn't work, it was to launch, you know, a New York times bestselling book, which honestly I didn't even hit yet, but a strategic byproduct in order to achieve that goal, I joined genius network because I wanted to learn how to market. And as an unintended strategic byproduct, I got to know Dan Sullivan and it was all in the service of pursuing a bigger and better future. But one of the things you talk about is that, you know, as part of going on this, playing this growth game, part of the thrill of it that people give up when they decide to just overattach to a status and a level is that they don't get those unexpected levels of growth, transformation, excitement, opportunity. They just immediately just give up all of that growth game that comes through collaboration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the big thing is you got to be open to the fact that there's a lot of resonant other people in the world and they don't know where to find you. So it's your commitment, public commitment, you have to make a public commitment that this is who you are and this is what you're up to. And then they'll say, oh, gee, that sounds really, really interesting. And because we all have situations where we have pasts, I tell you a story, I was telling this on a podcast yesterday, and that is we had a great landscaper who unfortunately died at an early age, and he died at an early age because he was a two-pack-a-day smoker from the time he was 13. But at 40, as a reward for a great project that he did for Babs and me, we gave him two weeks at a luxury spa that had one of the top stop-smoking clinics in the United States, And we said, you don't have to go to the clinic. You can go to the spa and just do what you want to do. But he took it seriously, and he stopped smoking. And he lived another seven years. And as far as I know, he didn't smoke another cigarette after that. And about a year after he came back, I said, what's the biggest change you noticed? Because I noticed his health had improved, and he wasn't coughing. And I said, what was the biggest change you've experienced in giving up cigarettes? He said, I also had to give up all my friends. Yep. He said, if I went back and spent time with them, there was two things that were always true. It was tempting to smoke, to be part of the group, but if I didn't smoke, it was really irritating to them. They started to say, come on, come on, come on. What are you doing? You above us, you better than us and everything else, you know? <laughs> he was a thorn in their identity. You know, if he's gonna be in their environment, it's like it's unresonant with that identity. I mean, it's a really a good example because it's a common addiction, you know, But the fact is that the people that you're comfortable with when you're in the addiction don't want you to stop. They don't want you to become someone else. Because first of all, they lose you and they like you. They like your company. But the other thing is that you're changing to something else is a rebuke to them. You're rebuking them. You're rejecting them. And so, I mean... Addictions are one thing, but there's, as you know, Ben, from all your psychological, there's thousands of different addictions. Well, and even your current self, you know, to some degree is an addiction, addiction. you know what I mean? And so your future self is going to have to be comfortable with different people and in different environments where they're playing at the level of, in this case, a thousand X. And so just as a public commitment that I want to, you know, Sharon, I already said at the beginning of this episode, there's going to be a million copies of Who Not Household. Like I'm committed to that outcome and I'm so excited to watch the unintended side effects that come from that opportunity. And so thanks for Who Not How, Dan. This has been a fun episode. Yeah, and I just want to say to get your download copy if you haven't heard it, Please. just go to whonothow.coach and you'll get the immediate download. And Ben, a good place to find out more about Ben Hardy. What would be a good link for them? BenjaminHardy.com. BenjaminHardy.com, yes. Okay, and we're going to continue this podcast series. And I have to tell you, we're actually dealing with 
each chapter of the small book to make it a bigger chapter in a bigger book. And this is in partnership with Tucker and with Reed Tracy. But I want to say this, that a lot of what we talked about here was a surprise. I mean, when we talked about it. And my feeling is that what you notice is that when you have a conversation with two people, and we do have a focus, we do have a structure we're going to talk about, but all sorts of unexpected and surprising strategic byproducts come out of it. And Ben is depending on that to happen because he wants as much you know, scientific research, psychological research. We want great examples, you know, from entrepreneurs who actually can verify from their own life experience that this, in fact, is a great, great way to approach developing a bigger and better ambition. I know that through these conversations, unexpected avenues are going to occur that are going to make this book so good and are going to teach us. I mean, one of my hopes for this conversation was that we would both learn things that we didn't know before this conversation. Yep. Thanks a lot, Ben. Thanks, Dan. Talk soon, man. Okay. Have a great day. Okay, bye.